You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. been shut and it would have been filled with just all this junk and filthiness and pollution and the doors had been shut and not only was the temple in disarray but the Levites and the priests were also backslidden I mean they hadn't been offering sacrifices it's incredible and according to the law of Moses they were unclean they were unkept and they were polluted because they hadn't done the proper things that they were supposed to do what happened to this place It's a disaster. I wonder what it looked like before. That place could very well be a picture of my heart, my body, before accepting Jesus. And now, it's this place that the Lord can live and change my life. King Hezekiah knew that gathering together to praise God was critical, as Pastor Dave explains today. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 29 as he begins his message. From good, to bad, to great. Chapter 29 of the book of 2 Chronicles. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that you've given us in your word. Thank you, Lord, for the excitement I feel about going into this incredible, incredible look at a very, very good king. Thank you, Lord, that we have your scriptures, that we can read them, we can study them, we can look at them and pick them apart and have things that are meaningful to us today, even though these things were written thousands of years ago. But they're every bit as true today as they were when they were written, Father God. And we can learn from your word. And Lord, help us, Lord, then to be doers of your word, not hearers only. Be able to apply it to our lives, Father God, as we walk circumspectly, big word. Walk worthy, Paul says, according to what we've been called. So thank you, Lord, for all these things. Thank you for these saints. What a blessing they are to me to come out and study your word. So Lord, we know that you won't disappoint. We know that you're a gracious God, a loving God, and you want to feed your children what you have for them. So open our ears and our hearts that we might receive all that you have in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the last couple of chapters, we've seen a good king, Jotham, who did right in the sight of the Lord because of what his father Uzziah had done. But because of the problem Uzziah had in the temple, Jotham decides not to go in the temple at all. And this is unfortunate because this deters from his relationship with God. And we talked about the assembling of the brethren. We talked about being here in person, not forsaking the assembly. So he could have been much, much better than he was. But because he forsook worshiping God by not going into the temple... He, he, he never measured up. He was one of those people in baseball we called, they had potential. And, you know, he didn't do very well. His father's influence was overwhelming for the nation. And with Jothan not worshiping, the people continued to be corrupt, and we read that. Jonathan's son Ahaz led the nation back into idolatry 
even offering up his own son as sacrifice to Molech. This was an abomination to the Lord God Jehovah. So he caused other nations to come against Judah in chastisement, and they took people away captive. This brought an end to this three-generation saga that began with Uzziah. But from the trouble that had come from these kings, this will eventually lead to the downfall of the nation Judah. They will eventually be carried away to captivity for 70-some-odd years. These kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, spent 84 years ruling the nation and disrupting all the things that God had put in place. 84 years. It was a roller coaster of up and down. You had Uzziah doing great and wonderful things and then falling at the end, not finishing well, not going, going into the temple and burning incense when he wasn't supposed to. He had Jotham trying to climb back up, but he didn't go all the way up because of the fact that he wouldn't go into the temple at all. And then you had Ahaz, who was deemed probably even worse than anyone, maybe to the point of Ahab, who was in the northern kingdom. Terrible thing. The nation was not going to recover from this. The nation was led down a path, and they were not going to recover. However, the roller coaster ride is coming to a halt right now. And as we come into chapter 29, we begin the, the reign of a great king. There probably was only one king greater than Hezekiah, and that is King David himself. And this is what is generally agreed upon. And that's why I've entitled the message from good to bad to great. One commentator said this, that there are 11 chapters, 11 full chapters in the Bible that are devoted to this king. So we have a lot we can learn from him. A lot we can learn from him. Hezekiah was strongly influenced by the prophet Isaiah. Strongly influenced by the prophet Isaiah. And no doubt, the relationship between Isaiah and Hezekiah was the reason that he became such a good king. Hezekiah would heed the words of Isaiah. He listened to what Isaiah would talk about because he knew Isaiah was sent from God. And he would listen to the words and then he would apply it to his reign. There's 16 verses in Isaiah about their bond. And it's considered, and one commentator wrote, which I want to repeat to you, it was considered the greatest bond since King David and Saul. They had a good bond at one time. They had a good bond at one time. So we begin chapter 29 with these words. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Notice how far he goes back. How far he goes back. Hezekiah is the 13th king from David. He's been the 13th in secession from the kings of Judah. All the way down. So here he is. And he's following hard after the example that David had left for him. Right away, you see that he is different from the others. 
He is following David's example. He wanted to be like David. He thought that David was the greatest king, which we know that he was. And he wanted to be like David. He wanted to follow his father, David. He came from that line. Like I said, he was 13th in the line. So knowing David's heart for worship, knowing David's heart for the temple, one thing I've desired, Lord, and that will I seek, that I may require, I may be in your temple forever. I just blew that Psalm 27, but you know what I'm trying to say. David wanted that relationship with God. So Hezekiah said, the first thing we got to do is we got to restore the temple. The temple has to be restored. So that's the first thing he does. Read verses 3 through 11. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, I'm stopping right there. Although, what keeps coming back to me is, for some reason, we value worship. You wouldn't be here if you didn't value worship and listening to God's word. You wouldn't be here. There are many, many other things that you could possibly be doing, but you value God's word. And when I read this, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. The only thing I'm thinking of is how we opened the doors after the pandemic. We opened up God's doors and say, whomsoever will may come. And we want people here to worship and to pray and to gather together, to hear God's word and to be one again. So it really struck me that now, after everything that happened, why did he do that? Because remember, in 2 Chronicles 28, his father closed the doors. His father's closed the doors to the temple. Ahaz had closed them. He had destroyed the various pieces within the temple that were set up for worshiping the one true God. And he took them and used them in the worship of Baal. He took them and used them to worship foreign idols and foreign gods. The temple had been shut. And it would have been filled with just all this junk and filthiness and pollution. And the doors had been shut. And not only was the temple in disarray, but the Levites and the priests were also backslidden. I mean, they hadn't been offering sacrifices. It's incredible. And according to the law of Moses, they were unclean. They were unkept. And they were polluted. Because they hadn't done the proper things that they were supposed to do. The We studied the priests had their job, and the Levites had their job. And they weren't doing it because of all of the idolatry that had come forth from Ahaz. No daily sacrifices. They didn't keep the lamp lit. They didn't keep the menorahs lit in the temple. There was no light in the temple. They had forsaken the worship of Jehovah God completely during the reign of Ahaz. And it was Hezekiah's purpose now to reestablish all this. He knew the value of worship. He knew the value of God's word. He knew the value of men and women of God gathering together. He knew the value there, and he wanted to see that take place again. He called the priest, and together said, Hey, yo guys, go sanctify yourselves. Go consecrate yourself. Get yourself clean. Go do the things that Moses told you to do so that you can come back and serve in the temple. Go get yourselves taken care of. Do it now. We want to go back to worshiping the one true living God. Throw away these idols from the Lord's sight. Get rid of these things and let's get back to worshiping God the way he's supposed to be. 
Hezekiah was determined to make a covenant to worship God. He wanted to make a covenant to worship God. So in 3 verses 11, it says, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God, your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God. They have forsaken him. They have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now... It is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may be turned away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. So he's really making a plea here. We need to get back to doing the things we're supposed to do. And now, again, it just touched my heart when I read this about us trying to get back to doing the things we do trying to get back to worshiping the Lord, trying to get back. And we're pretty full-blown now, but there for a while was a struggle, trying to get people to come back, trying to do the things that we're supposed to do. It was very difficult, but we need to get back to those things, those things which the Lord has us doing. He wanted to make a covenant with the Lord. It's interesting that him doing this actually delays God's judgment. So remember I told you that Ahaz and the rest had taken Israel down to a point where they would never recover? Well, they did. But because of Hezekiah's action, this kind of delays God's judgment. He he kind of delays it. I find grace here, if you want to know the truth. I find God's grace in all this. He's he's slow to anger. He's long-suffering. And we see that right here, you know? He could have wiped them out in a heartbeat. I mean, after all, he did send people to come and carry a lot of them away, remember? But they were eventually returned. But he's delaying that. And Hezekiah is actually returning the people to worship God. He's returning them back to worship God. I think this is cool. He's really bringing them back once again. One commentator made the point by saying this, and it works, because as I read it, I believed it, about the temple being disarray about the temple being polluted, about the temple being unkept, and about the temple having all this other garbage in it. This commentator I read reminded us that we are now the temple of God. We are the temple of God. We too must keep all pollution and uncleanness out of our lives and out of our bodies. In fact, I have a couple verses in Corinthians One of them is in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Paul is speaking here. He said, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And then he writes these words in verse 17 that are kind of scary. He says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. 
For the temple of God is holy, the temple which you are. Wow. Because the Holy Spirit is in us. We are now the temple of God. And in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 6, again, verse 16, we read this. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the living temple of God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. Wow. It's interesting here, as you read in Corinthians, you know, it's written in Greek, and the Greek word for temple is naos, N-A-O-S. And it means the inner sanctuary, the most holy place. Jesus used this word when he was talking to the Pharisees when they asked for a sign. And remember, he said, destroy this temple in three days. I'll build it up again. He was using the word nanos, talking about his body. Now he's talking about our body. He's saying, we are the nanos of God, the temple of God, the innermost dwelling place of God. Think about it. Think about it for a minute. It's mind-boggling. It really is. It boggles my mind all the time when I spend some time on it. The third person of the Trinity lives in you. God lives in you. God lives in you. This is the air I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. Think about it. That might change the way you might act. It might change what you might do. It might change what you might say. It might change your whole person. We are the inner sanctuary, and that was a place of divine activity. In the Holy of Holies, where the Shekinah glory of God came and sat between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. That was a divine place, and he's placed that divinity in you. You are now housing a divine place. That's where man came to have a relationship with God and see the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies. Paul says, no, you're the nanos of God. You are the temple of God. Therefore... Your life now becomes the center of divine activity. Ugh. Think about that. Your life becomes the center of divine activity. Your life is the instrument through God wants to reveal himself to man today. Your life is the dwelling place of God in your body. The Holy Spirit, the, whole per the third person of the Trinity is within you. And the psalmist said on 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the deepest part of the earth, you're still there. Holy Spirit is with you always. In fact, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be with you forever. Forever. Incredible stuff when you put it that way. When you think about what we're doing with our bodies, what we're doing to our bodies, how we're treating our bodies, the holy place of God. The temple was polluted. The temple was really in bad shape. The temple was in disrepair. And Hezekiah said to the guys, clean it up. We want it fixed. I want it put back to where it was before. Let's look at 12 through 19. Then the Levites arose. Mephath, the son of Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, the sons of the Kodathites, and the sons of Merai, Kish the son of Abdi, and Azariah the son of Jehaliel, 
of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimna, and Eden, the son of Joah, the sons of Eliphazabam by the Kabandaman. <laughs> that one got me, guys. I'm sorry. I was on a roll. That one just got me. I'm sorry. Shimri and Jael, and the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Manaphathian, the sons of Haman, Jethiel again, Shemai, the sons of Judathan, Shemaniah, and Uziel. All these guys, all right? All these men. And they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they had found out in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out, carried it to the book Kidron. Now they began to sanctify on the first day of the month and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days and on the sixteenth day of the first month they were finished. Then they went to the king Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar burnt offerings and with all the articles and the table of the showbread and all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. Now, these men had been accomplices in the neglect of the temple. They've been responsible for a lot of the neglect that was taking place. But yet the chronicler, the guy who's writing this, we believe it might be Ezra, noted them by name because King Hezekiah exhorted them to do what was right by cleansing the temple, restoring it, and they did exactly what they were asked to do. It's interesting that the vestibule was done on the eighth day. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Eight is the number of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that that was done on the eighth day. And then it took another eight days for them to finish the job. Sixteen days total to carry all the rubbish that was accumulated in the temple and get it out of the way. And clean the temple according to the law of Moses. It must have been a wreck. And the temple must have been really, really bad. After the first step of removing the problem, now they could be put back what was taken out during the reign of Ahaz. Remember, he took all these things out and he used them. He cut pieces in half and put them all around Jerusalem. They had to clean the temple. They had to clean what was in here. How did we clean our temple? By the blood of the Lamb by the blood of Jesus Christ, by accepting Jesus Christ into our life, he came in and begins to clean the temple. Christ comes into us and he begins to clean the temple. He starts getting rid of things. You don't need that in your life. But I like it so much, you got to get rid of it. That thing's rubbish right there. you got to get rid of that right now. But I really like that. We'll come back to it. How about this thing here? And you get rid of it. And soon you start jettisoning all sorts of things. But there's still things there. And you're holding on to them. I don't want to get rid of this. It's my teddy bear. I can't get rid of it. No, you got to get rid of it. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave has been working his way through the book of Second Chronicles. 
Before you assume that this book entails a bunch of details from the past that don't really affect you today, make sure you take some time to appreciate what this book offers. In addition to the history of the Israelite people, you get to know the rise and fall of many kings. They were all sinners who needed a savior. They were just like every person today, no matter their status, who needs a savior. Do you know this savior, Jesus? If you do, you've come to greatly value what this means in your life. If you're unfamiliar with the concept, we want to help you understand that. No one has it all figured out on their own. For sure, no one is capable of living without sin and error. But what you need to realize is that there's a sure hope through the Savior, Jesus Christ. His willingness to be traded for your sins makes all the difference. By knowing Him personally and believing in Him, you get to move forward with life, knowing you're not perfect, but that God's bringing you into something better. The ministry of a sure hope comes out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. If you're in the area, we'd love to worship God together with you this weekend. Head over to assurehoperadio.com for service times and directions. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. If you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. That's all we have for today, but we look forward to connecting with you again on the next edition of Assure Hope.